0: The Mac Observer's Mac Geek Cab, number 414, for Sunday, August 26th, 2012. (music) Greetings, folks, and welcome to the Mac Observer's Mac Geek Cab, the show where you send in your questions... We provide some answers. You send in your tips. We provide some tips of our own. And together, we all enjoy and try. We try to enjoy. No, we joy. We love learning new things about the Mac. Here in Durham, New Hampshire, I'm Dave Hamilton.
1: Glad you got that out. Got got that out of your system.
0: (laughs) I had to wrap it up somehow. That's right. (laughs) (laughs) You work with what you got.
1: Uh here in Fairfield, Connecticut, John F. Braun. And I like the episode number for one reason. And it probably was was swimming around in your memory, uh, the significance of that number. Yes?
0: Uh, yeah, but but I don't, I can't, listen, I've had, I, I am working on th- literally three hours of sleep and a long day in the sun. Um, my entire weekend was devoted to uh, the benefit of kids sports in many different ways. So, uh. So tell me why 414 sounds familiar to me.
1: Uh, well, it was the name of a group of people who, um, I gather, came from area code. I can't imagine what else here, though. I'm, I'm skimming the article here. But it was a, it was a group of people that... So, so this was in the 80s when, you know, like War Games was the cool movie and everybody, you know, knew how to be a hacker and Joshua and all that great stuff. Yep. And, uh, and apparently it was a group of people that busted into some computers and got caught. Oh. So. But the 414s. So that's why it rung a bell in my mind. And I'm sure as you were saying it, it sounded like you're like, wait, what does yeah. this mean? Yeah, <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. So for yeah. people that
1: remember all, all those shenanigans. and
0: was, was Newt Sears a member of that group? Because that was one of the guys that uh, our friend Jason, we'll keep his last name out of this because he works for a fruit company now. Um, the, he introduced me to, and he was this major Unix guy. Um, and I saw his name mentioned in the cuckoo's egg, you know, but, uh, but yeah, he, he, um, okay. Yeah. I see no specific names, but it was Uh, just a group that made some high profile, uh, system compromises and cool. I mean, cool, you know, cool in the sense that that's just, you know, that's how it was back then.
1: Well, it looks like they did, you know, take some people's time and do a little damage, which is not cool. No damage.
0: Damage is bad. (laughs) Yeah, that's bad. All right, uh, you know, let's let's start the show with some quick ones, John. I think we got uh, probably four or five questions here that we should uh, we should be able to bang out and see if we can't get into the groove of this thing here. When Dave writes, you, I'm sorry, what'd you say? We're we already to in the groove. All, All right, keep good. going. OK, Dave writes, hopefully a quick one. Yes, sir. Indeed. He says, since Mountain Lion, assuming that's the cause, my cursor occasionally changes from a pointer to horizontal arrows pointing left and right. If I take a screenshot, the normal cursor returns. Maybe this is connected to screenshots. Maybe to sketch would love your thoughts. Cut me off. (laughs) All right, Dave. (laughs) Um, I have seen this. I don't see it. uh, It doesn't sound like I see it as regularly as you do, but I have seen it and I've seen it on uh, not just my machine, but multiple machines. But it for for me, uh, it predates uh, the release of Mountain Lion. And I don't while I don't have an answer for you. I do have a perhaps slightly faster way of dealing with this problem. When your cursor gets munged and you're right, screenshots are the kind of the the hint here. When your cursor gets munged, uh, when you go into screenshot mode, especially if you go into, uh, so there's a couple different screenshot modes. So there's a bonus tip here. You can do command shift three. These are all default commands. Uh, Command shift three will take a picture of the entire screen and save it to The the uh, the desktop command shift four will uh, give you crosshairs and then two things can happen. You can draw with the crosshairs or uh, you can hit the space bar and the crosshairs turn into a camera icon and you float that over a window and then you can uh, you can click and take a picture of just that window and it gives you like a nice little drop shadow and everything. But anyway, to solve this problem, uh, command shift four to get to the crosshairs and then just hit escape. And then that reverts my cursor back and it doesn't save the uh, the the screenshot to the desktop and and one other thing since we're on screenshots now um, command shift four command shift three save them to the desktop command control shift three or four so adding control to to the to the mix saves it not to the desktop but to the clipboard so if you want to send someone a screenshot via email it's really cool you just do you know whichever one I usually do four so I can just get the window or whatever I want. And then, uh, and then I can just go into an email and paste it in and I didn't have to like drag it from the desktop or do anything funky like that. So, or I can paste it into sketch, which Dave mentioned. uh, And I do that a lot too. And then I can edit it and fun stuff. So that's my attempt at answering that in a short way and yet still providing all sorts of extra goodies. You want to take, you 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 have anything to add to that or you want to just take one? Goodie. All right. No, good. I got something to add. Well, a all little right bit. Go. To add. All right, go. There is one
1: place in macOS where you may want to look that that you can affect the behavior of the cursor. Okay. And just thought I'd mention it. So if you go to System Preferences, Universal Access, Mouse, there is a selection there for changing the cursor size. So just thought I'd mention it because I was looking. At, you know, I seem to remember it now. You know, I think it was third-party add-ons, which probably wreaked all sorts of havoc. Right. Right, you know, playing with the cursor and make it animated and you know all the all that nonsense that you really don't need. So, that's the only place I can see that you can change the uh, change the cursor.
0: All right, what do you got next?
1: What do I have? Yeah, <laughs> you're implying that I'm ready for this. Here, I Another am. Question from John. Yeah, certainly could
0: be. Oh man, <laughs> you know we do. I love this. This this actually is, is funny to me, but you know, we do an agenda, and, and in theory, we're both on the same page. There it is. Okay, right. now I got it.
1: Good. Um, I can't boot to the recovery partition or to the CD to wipe the hard drive for a clean install. Every time I get three beeps. So this is mysterious because we have not one but two problems here. But I check my profiler and the status for my RAM says it's okay, which is a good instinct because that is usually what beeps mean. Right. I think. And it shows gigs. Any help you have would be appreciated. I tried to offer two pieces of information here. So number one, not being... In the back of my mind, I remember not being able to boot to the recovery partition and I couldn't understand why. or that There was a number of things I was trying to do and I couldn't do them and I couldn't figure out why until at one point I held down a certain key and tried to do a certain thing and all of a sudden I saw a little... Dialog asking for a password and what this is is although it's interesting because the uh, support article Seems to have been deprecated as far as I know you can still do this though You may have to launch it from the uh, install disk and that's running open firmware password protection If you turn that on you can't do a lot of things like booting To the recovery partition um, Or booting to a dvd or running the startup manager which was the other thing I suggest that he do Because if Uh you can get the startup manager, which involves holding down the option key, then you will get a list of all drives that the Mac thinks it can boot from. At that point, uh, last I checked, the recovery partition shows up there. It doesn't show up in a lot of other places like this utility and some other places you'd expect. So.
0: uh, All right, cool. That's all I got. That's it. Moving on. Works for me. All right. Richard writes. An unusual thing happened when I did the update to 10.8.1 that I thought I would mention to you. I was running 10.8.0. First I went to the app store and ran the incremental upgrade to 10.8.1, which only took a few minutes to download and run. After the upgrade was finished, I went back to the app store and under the purchases tab was the 10.8.1 upgrade. It was still there. Unsure if this meant there was a problem with the upgrade, I downloaded it again, this time getting the full install, taking over an hour. I ran the complete install, which also seemed to run fine. After the full install, it still shows download on the purchases page in the app store. I do not know why it did this. My best guess is that either number one, Mountain Lion saw a problem with the upgrade installation and decided that I need that I needed to full install or number two, my system is a little flaking, did not register that I had run the updater. Actually, Rick, uh, number three is what uh, is the answer here. Apple has uh, what you're seeing is exactly what you should be seeing after a successful update. If you need to update and this only happens with the operating system, to my knowledge, uh, it used to be that if you wanted to download a copy of the operating system that you had currently installed, you had to jump through all sorts of hoops to do it. Apple has now made that easier and the way you do it is you navigate to the store, you know, in the Mac App Store, and you hit the download button for the for the OS, and it just downloads it. So if you need to update, or if if the OS thinks you need to update, it will show an update uh, button, not the download button. So what you're seeing is totally normal. It's a little different than it was. I don't know if this changed maybe three months ago, uh, but but it is normal. So you're actually your your incremental upgrade to ten eight one. Went very well, so uh, uh, you did not need to go through all that that red tape that you went through. But uh, but it seems like your system is still running fine. So there you go. Moving on,
1: John, or do you have totally out left field? Yeah, that's, that's I've noticed this. No, I just thought I'd mention this because yeah, I noticed it the other day. Um, have you noticed that in in certain file views that when a file is downloading, it now shows you a little progress bar. Yeah. are oh, in the, tell you what the size is. In the Finder, you mean? Yes. Yeah. I just noticed that the other day. I'm like, oh, isn't that... It shows a lot it of times from, I think we've seen that stale size values are sometimes a problem. So it looks like they took care of it. And that, yeah, if you see the little bar, it's, it's saying, I'm busy with this. Uh, yeah. Eh, just a nice little touch that I think was was new within, yeah, the last OS, I guess.
0: Yeah, it's it totally new to Mountain Lion. Yeah, that that's... um. It's interesting that I get that in the Finder when I'm doing copies, just for locally or you know from a network drive or whatever. It, it you know it just shows it right there on the size. That's handy. I like it. Um, you know, while we're while we're on a tangent related to 1081, one, uh, I should mention first of all, I've updated most, if not all, of my Mountain Line machines to 1081, one, and it has gone very very smoothly. And so I I do recommend it. Have you have you had good experience with yours too, John? So far. Good. Good. I only have one problem, but that's for another time. Okay. All right. Um, Jim Tannis, otherwise known as MGG Jim, did a ton of testing for us recently at, at TMO and found that battery life with mountain lion is significantly worse than it was with lion before it on the same machine. And, uh, and I mean, he's gone through all sorts of crazy tests and, and uh, the articles are up at TMO. We'll, We'll put uh, we'll put a link to one or two of them here in the show notes too, but uh, but ten eighty one does make it better. It's still not up to uh, ten seven four battery life uh, rates, but 1081 one definitely made a big difference on on the portables that he tested. And he tested, I think, three different portables: regular MacBook Pro, Retina MacBook Pro, and uh, and uh, uh, MacBook Air. So, just thought I'd throw that out there. It's very interesting stuff. But uh but there you go. All right. Uh What's that? Throw away. Throw yeah. Oh. Uh let's see. Oh, you know um Dave writes. He says, "Guys, do you have any idea why Mail app creates duplicate naming when I only type in an address once? Every once in a while I see uh, in the to field, it'll say, you know, email at domain dot com space email at domain dot com. And it'll all be in that same blue bubble that you're used to seeing just the person's name or the single address. In why is this happening? This is when you get an email from someone and their name is not attached to the address in the headers. Uh, mail stores everything. If you reply to them. Uh, Any message you send out mail stores, the addresses that are in that in the two and the CC and even the BCC headers, it stores those in your previous recipients list. If it does not have a name to attach to it, it actually puts the email address in as the name. And sometimes that causes things to be duplicated. And, uh, and I think that's what you're seeing here. You can muck about with this though, by going in mail to the window menu, and go to previous recipients. You'll get a big long list set up, and uh, and you can do a couple of things here. You can remove people from the list, and you can do a little search in there. It's actually really really handy. You can see the last time it was used, and uh, and then you can also take them and add it to your contacts if uh, if you're so inclined. So that's uh, that's probably where you're going to find these things, and they're just going to look a little funky out there because they don't have names associated with them. So. Any thoughts on that, John? While I sip some tea, dude, I just saw that. Oh, this is awesome! I'm like
1: sorting it by time, and it's like a peek into my past and my former enemies and all that. Wait, what? <laughs> this is great.
0: <laughs> um, y- you know, combining the last two questions here, John, ten eight one changed some things with mail. If you're using the, uh, it, you know, if you're looking at messages in mail, if you look at Pull up a message, and it doesn't matter if you're in regular view or um, uh, uh, classic view—I guess they call it. Mm. If you look at the headers in the message, it no longer says "From:" colon and then the name of the person it's from, and it also no longer says "Subject:" colon, and that changed in ten eight one. I just pointed out, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting.
1: You want another one? Did you go. Well, I'm not quite sure what to do with this yet, but you notice what happens when you highlight multiple emails? No. Are you in the classic view? Well, I'm in the classic view. It basically makes like a little 3D-ish pile. Oh, look at that. I don't remember it doing before. I'm trying to figure out why that's useful. I mean, it's it's, it's nice eye candy, but I suspect
0: there's more you can do with it. I doubt it. You can't do anything. I mean, you can drag them around, but it's not... um, it's, it's just eye candy. It's like it's like on the iPad or or whatever. I think that's where that ah!
1: <laughs> stop that. Well, I got to shake my fist when eye candy is the reason they do something. Come on.
0: Well, you know, it's um, <laughs> that's how
1: Apple rolls. I suppose. But, you know, I just feel bad for the people that couldn't upgrade to Mountain Lion because they didn't have quite a powerful enough graphics chipset yeah hats off to you
0: (laughs) yeah right yeah well there you go (laughs) it's not the end of the world though right it is not the end of the world all right john uh the last quick one here well it might might not be the last quick one but certainly the last in this list chris writes i have a friend who needs mac assistance from time to time trying to walk them through steps via the phone doesn't cut it i need to parachute into their computer and show them how to fix their issues or simply fix what's ailing what do you recommend for easy remote access it needs to be something quick, easy and simple to set up? What's your suggestion? So, it, you know, the two that jump to mind uh, for the quick and easy and and most importantly, free for personal use uh, are log me ins uh, uh, offering and uh, and team viewer. Uh, I think either one of those is probably the uh, going to be a, a good answer for you. But, but John, I know you always have, uh, have good stuff to suggest, and especially in, when this very question comes up.
1: Well, it's pretty much what you said, though I'll point you to a specific piece of TeamViewer. So that's the one that I really like. Yep. Um, but they have a special version of what you want to do. So when you go to the TeamViewer page, and then there's a download link. And then what you're going to see, it's going to list Mac things uh, or uh, different versions for the Mac. Okay. What I think you want to get for at least the recipient is uh, TeamViewer Quick Support. That one doesn't go through the full, uh, from what I recall, um, formal installation process, you know, with requiring an admin password and stuff like that. It pretty much just starts up. I think you may have to create an account with them. But other than that, actually, you may not even not. I think that 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 was the attraction here. They run it. Some numbers come up on the screen. You talk to them. Because what happens is, with a lot of these solutions, is that both the both parties are registering with someone else that helps them find each other. And so one thing you got to think about is, do I trust them? And you know, team viewer, I, I guess I trust them just as, as do you trust um, those other guys.
0: (laughs) Right. Right. Yeah. Well, that's it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You are using them as kind of the, you know, conduit that makes things easy. And yeah, in the, in the chat room, which actually we did not uh, audibly welcome the folks in the chat room. So welcome to, uh, to everyone there in the chat room. Our uh, our Sunday evening chat room is growing and growing. com slash stream every time we record the show, which will not be happening next Sunday because of various travel and, and things, uh, but we will do a show for next week. We'll we'll keep you posted as to when that'll happen. But uh but somebody in the chat room, John, is saying, uh Team Viewer QS doesn't have to install. So that's there you go. Okay, quick support, thing I mentioned. Yep, oh, I okay. the thing so you mentioned yep.
1: Okay, so I did identify Confirmation. my program.
0: Yep. Awesome. Awesome. All right. Where are we? So in addition to the chat room, you know, John, we have, uh, we have the Mac Geek Cab crew forums and mm-hmm. it, things have been, there's always some great stuff out there. And, uh, and so we have, uh, we have a couple of things to, uh, to go through from the forums. I believe let's, uh, let's talk about one from Rara Vapa. Uh, Raravapa, and these are forum names, so you know, bear with us on this, folks. Uh, writes: I have the following setup. I have a fiber optic modem. That's my access to the internet. I have a Linksys router uh, with PPPoE setup connected to the internet. As it works, it uh, also has wireless enabled on it. I have two Airport Extremes, and I have a home automation equipment which requires a network. The reason I had the Linksys router is because the WAN connection through the airport extreme resulted in a very slow Internet connection. I don't know why, but it doesn't really matter. How can I extend the Linksys Wi-Fi Ethernet with the help of the airport extremes? I have computers, home automation equipment, which requires everything to be on the same network so that I can share the files, music across PCs, Macs and other iOS devices. Yeah, of course. So this um this is one of my favorite topics because it's uh, the the wireless router vendors would like us to believe that uh, it's very, very easy and reliable and fast even to simply put the base stations into wireless network extension mode or WDS mode. It's sometimes called, but you know, the, the general concept there is you set up one router that broadcasts the wireless network and then you have other routers that just like grab that wireless signal and repeat it to areas of your home that, uh, that you know might not get the signal from the first one sounds great i've never seen it work i've talked to one person who has had great luck with it but uh but by and large i have probably tried this in more than 50 homes and have ne- not my own homes but uh but with other folks and uh personally have never ever seen it work but That led me to a much better solution and perhaps one that's even better for you because you're looking to extend not just your wireless, but your Ethernet as well. I love Powerline. What Powerline does is it allows you to uh, essentially leverage your power uh, outlets in the house and connect them to your Ethernet network. You get Powerline adapters and and you need at least two because you're going to plug them in on either end. And they're very simple. They plug into a wall outlet and they have an ethernet port on them. And pretty much that's the extent of your configuration. You plug them in and you can treat them like ethernet outlets. Uh, Some homes wiring is too old to support these, but by and large, they tend to work very, very well. The uh, things do not need to be on the same circuits. They just need to all go to the same circuit panel. Uh, The signal will happily jump from circuit to circuit there. And I get... Almost 200 megabits a second with either the 200 megabit per second units uh, or the 500 megabit per second units. Uh, And I've tried, I've mostly tried just the Netgear stuff, but my guess is that um, other Powerline stuff would work. So using Powerline, uh, assuming you don't have Ethernet run around your house, you set up your first router, you run Powerline from uh, that to a second airport router, you let that go into wireless access point mode where it's just broadcasting a signal, but not doing any routing. You put it into bridge mode. You do that with another one, put them in the right spots of the house and you're good to go. Use power line yet. I guess you probably don't need it in your house, right, John?
1: You know, I've been thinking about it, so I actually just purchased a couple of because um, I'm reviewing more network products, and right, it turns out I've kind of run out of ports, Dave. So I ordered a, from uh, our pals at Monoprice. I they had a special one day. I couldn't resist. They had a little tweet, and it was a twenty dollar eight port gigabit router uh, switch, okay, Dude, for twenty bucks. And it That's looks awesome. like it doesn't look like a piece of garbage, but but they you know they limit it to five per per member or sure or buy. So um. Because I need more ports, but I got two because the thing is i 'm thinking uh, uh, you figured this out, you read the future. no, I was thinking of <laughs> putting um high speed downstairs N- not that there's a lot of things that need it, but if I would either like to plug in myself because right now everything I do downstairs is wireless right sometimes the coverage you know I mean sometimes i'd like the the screaming gigabit you know in theory anyways, <laughs> yeah, right, But I'm thinking of actually you know I, I want to see how much is involved because I do. I find the power line solution compelling though, you know, versus running a wire, it's, it's relatively expensive. So I want to see if I can figure out how to get from one floor to another in this place without destroying it.
0: <laughs> right, right. Yeah. You, you know, I, I, we've said this many times and since we're here, I'll say it again. If you ever are building a, you know, a new room or, or for whatever reason you have uh sheetrock down, put, Ethernet cables in because you never know when you're going to want them. And it's so easy and cheap to do before the walls are up. But, um, but you know, if you, if it's not worth taking the walls down when there are things like power line. And I think, you know, I should look on Amazon quick here and see what the, the power line stuff costs now, but it's pretty cheap. It's like for the 200 megabit. So yeah, for the, the power line AV 200 from Netgear, which is what I would recommend, um, for the most part, I don't I don't see a difference in the 200 versus the 500 in terms of throughput. Um, and you can get a, a pair of them for one hundred and nine bucks. So, uh, you know, that, that it's you're good to go. It's it's you know, it's not it's not 10 bucks, but it's also not a thousand. So,
1: you know, the last thing maybe, you know, about this because you've traveled far and wide. And you get lots of emails like I do. But um, the only other thing I'm thinking of here. And I was at least one show, and they demonstrated a product that could do high-speed networking via uh, cable.
0: Yeah. Oh, oh, over over
1: coax. Over RG. Yeah, whatever your your basic cable, but because actually, yep. now that I think about it, in my house I do have cable in every room that are routed by a mysterious network of of splitters and cables running around that I'm not quite sure of. So I wonder if I can use that to get from one floor to
0: another either, because I, you do know, believe you should, you should test that. I, I, I would love to, to hear how that works. Um, i kind of via th- the wall. I'm pretty sure there's
1: an electrical path from where the cable modem is down to the floor where I want more networking.
0: So. Right now it's really handy. I find, um, having something wired at the TV, in the living room so that, you know, the, the, Wii or the Xbox or the TiVo or all of that cannot live on my wireless network is a really good thing. Cause it just, it takes that traffic off of the network, especially for us. We stream, um, you know, I run stream baby, which I got working on the, uh, on the disc station. I think I mentioned the Synology thing, but we run stream baby to stream movies from our, our NAS drive straight to the TiVo. And, uh, but you know that's, I mean, it's it's using some bandwidth, and I'd rather use that bandwidth wirelessly for the things that have to be wireless, like iPads and and iPhones and things like that. So, yeah, you should get some of those and test them. I I bet uh, I bet you could even get some review units, John, uh, of the of the coax stuff to test. That would be a, a great. Yeah, it's thing in a pile have.
1: somewhere. But I remember I saw oh, the you company. have I'm like, oh, okay. oh, that's a Well, at least one company that said, hey, you know, here's another solution. There are some people that have RG, uh, you know, cable, uh, cable TV uh, or cable modem quality cable running all over the place. And why not use that to to beam things back and forth? And it's like, well, yeah, sure. Yeah, why not? And they kind of do already, but it's a different, uh, you know, rather than being a cable modem, it's an endpoint, I guess. Or maybe it is kind of a cable modem.
0: Um, Yeah, yeah, it could be. It could be. All right. Where are we? Where are we time-wise, anyway? All right, good. Um, let's let's talk about this. This this one from MacTad in the forums, John, is uh, is probably a good one to uh, to talk about. MacTad writes, "I was hunting in my keychains for the user and password combination for a site when the search turned up something that to me seems very odd. It was a certificate." That seemed to give some Hungarian individual or machine root authority on my Mac. Can you tell me what this is? And it he's, he put a screenshot in, and it shows Netlock Minasiet Codes. I don't know something, some Hungarian thing uh, that I'm gonna totally botch if I try to pronounce it any any more than I did. But it said this certificate is valid, and and uh, it, it is called root certificate authority. As it turns out. You you want to tell them what this is, John? This this is uh. You, you probably already know, but uh, do you want I to tell them? Well, I'll try to explain it. So, what is a certificate?
1: A certificate is a piece of information that, for the most part, proves that someone is who they say they are. Right and there's a whole group of them that are stored on your Mac that are submitted by people who we're going to assume are trustworthy. So basically what happens is that if if you're using a certificate and it's involved in sending email and connecting to other websites, if the certificates on both ends are ones that are known and trusted, then you see nothing, which is good. That's the way it should work. But if a certificate is not known or trusted, then it's going to set up an alarm. Now, the, the ones that this all hinges on, is that these root certificates, and these are provided by the people that issue these things called certificates. And you assume if you get a, a certificate from them that it's trustworthy.
0: Well, and 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 taking that one step further, Apple has gone out of – well, not gone out of their way, but they have provided us in terms of, you know, as a core part of the OS – this list or these certificates from the root authorities that are implicitly trusted unless you go and change them. So Apple has, in theory, vetted them and said anybody that set, that relies on this authority, they're good to go. And uh, and it, I believe, this Hungarian one that uh, that MacTad found is one of those that Apple has rubber stamped and said yes, yep, it's good.
1: Yeah, I mean, normally I don't trust Hungarians, but in this oh, case, geez. okay, that's John there, folks. <laughs> Why would you not trust Hungarians? Oh no, I, I, no, I, I know many know. Hungarians. I know, <laughs> no, but I want to say the the quickest way for this to make sense because what we're saying now probably doesn't transmit to all well over just words. What you want to do is get the keychain access application. And then you're going to see different key chains. And the ones you want, the one you want to look at here, the, the two you want to click on, on the left-hand side of the application are system routes and certificates. And then you're going to see all of these, including this one that I saw here. But I also saw, I mean, there are just, you know, I'm looking now, Belgium. I mean, every country has people that issue these certificates, including um, countries you and I have never heard of, Dave. Like, what, what, what was it again? Well, this was Hungary. Hungary, I mean,
0: (laughs) I've heard of Hungary.
1: Now, the problem is now. you may have seen this a a mini tangent here, but this is something to be aware of, is that there have been cases where the the technology used to generate their certificate or some other or, or maybe a part of their certificate has all of a sudden been compromised. So what happened and they've had a few scares where what happens is someone has figured out how to impersonate one of these root certificates. Right. And normally what should happen, now this is getting kind of geeky and I don't want to scare people or anything, but they they had some cases like this where you, in theory, if you went to a website that said it was secure, it really wasn't because someone figured out how to forge the root certificate. But uh, fortunately, I think in that case, Apple acted quickly and, you know, always keep your software update on kids. And if it's a security update, uh, this is one of the things that it can it can uh,
0: take care of. Yep. 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 All right. Are you ready to, uh, to talk to us? Uh, well, actually, we'll have... Uh We'll play a question from Lou. How's that sound, John? Let me find it in here. You ready? Here we go. Be pretty. All right. <laughs> Hi, John and Dave. This is Lou calling. I have a question. My dad just asked me to update him to um, Mountain Lion, so we did the update and discovered that all of his Keras works, because he was still using it, are no longer accessible. Um, We downloaded pages and we can get some of them, but we have some older Claris Works files that just can't be opened. What do you recommend and how might we get his files into a usable format? Uh, you can reach me. All right, we'll cut you off there, Lou. Uh, so if you couldn't hear that because of the audio, he's looking for a way to get uh, access or read his Claris Works files. So, John, did you, you, did you do some digging on this one? Well, a little digging
1: in in what you mentioned, so at least to, to okay. talk about a starting point here. So, so one thing. So, this is an older application, right? <laughs> Very, yeah, yeah. That runs. Uh, I'm pretty sure it's pre uh, Mac OS X, right, Dave?
0: Um, no, no, it ran under Mac OS X, but it it was never uh it 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 was never compiled for Intel, so it always required um. Uh, uh, Rosetta to run and and I believe the problem there was uh, you know obviously we can't run Rosetta anymore in in the current or even one iteration of the OS back right it was it was in it was an OS 10 thing I think but either way you can't run it in uh, in Mountain Lion you need something else
1: Right. So one solution, so a quick solution here, but it requires you to have a specific setup. But I thought I'd mention it is that most of the solutions that I saw online, I'll I'll, I'll pick a few, but uh, and we'll list them, of course. But uh, said, hey, you know, if you're in ClarisWorks, then the best solution here is to write it out as Word and like get the heck out of ClarisWorks, and that makes a lot of sense. But then that's if you can launch ClarisWorks. But if you can, right, right. And here's here's the fun part. So. You know, there are two parts of this. So one, I think, and Dave, you you hinted at this, and I've had some experience with this, and I just wanted to offer my experience with it, but it's something called Sheep Shaver. And has a picture of a sheep and some clippers and wool and all that. You you get it. Right. um, Basically, what it's doing is letting you run... Well, looking at their page here, I mean, pretty much it lets you run Mac OS 7.5.2 to 9.0.4. Okay. And I believe there was Clarisworks in that world. So one... So you may have to, uh, I don't think any of this is really legally a problem anymore. So, so run, to run Sheep Shaver, you got to get yourself ROMs for the older machines. And yeah, technically, maybe that's naughty, but it's like, come on, guys. <laughs> right? Right. Well, right. they tell if you, if you have enough Google foo, you'll figure out how to, uh, how to do that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, go to the, yeah, go to the sheep shaver page. They'll, they'll start directing you in the, in the right direction. So, so yeah, that you're, you're right. That is one way. Of course, you then also have to have a copy of, uh, macOS, uh, macOS nine, right. Uh, or, or eight to, to run Claris works, but presumably if you still have access to Claris works, then yes, this is a way to go ahead and, and run, uh, those apps inside of, uh, inside of OS 10. <laughs> it it as Lou alluded and obviously this doesn't work for all claris works files but it does work for the later versions of claris works files pages is built to read them so because claris works became claris works of course was was uh was owned by apple and and then became apple works which then sort of you know went into this weird murky place and and then now we have pages so uh <laughs> so Apple does, you know, Apple does have the 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 access to the the code and and, and they made pages read some Claris works stuff. Um, I don't I'll mention this. I don't know if this will read Claris works stuff because I don't have any Claris works files to test with. But uh, but there is a website called Zamzar, Z-A-M-Z-A-R dot com. And it is like the all in one document conversion site you upload a file to to them it's all done via the web uh you can see it right at zamzar.com uh you pick what you want to convert it to you put in your email address and then it does the conversion now you have to trust them they are doing the conversion on their end so obviously if the if the data is at all sensitive probably n- not a good idea to to send it off not that zamzar uh, has ever had any problems but y- you know just good practice um but otherwise uh, zamzar has worked very well for me. I have uh I've used it for you know word perfect stuff that's come in and just weird you know weird stuff. So, so that's Zamsar. Anything ever
1: happened? Oh yeah, go ahead. Trying to figure what happened to these guys and if it, it would still even apply. But documents to go. Remember databases oh, yeah. and those guys. Well, I'm looking right now, but the thing is, I just went to their web page. And it seems, it doesn't appear that they make their software for the
0: desktop anymore. It's just for the, the handheld devices. Right. Yeah, that's, well, no, they have a Mac version. Okay, I'm trying to find it. I must be looking at the wrong place. Well, yeah, if you go to, I mean, I just went to dataviz.com, and uh, let me see if I can get there and go to products and documents to go, and... If, okay, so this is weird. If you go to the iPhone platform page, then mm. there is a application for Mac and Windows, but maybe that's only to interface with the iOS versions. I don't know. I don't know. No, but I just I also, remember that
1: they, they used to be like the. Uh, at one point, they they yeah they were they
0: the were ones just about everything. Yeah, I don't think they will. They don't, list, they don't list. They don't list ClarisWorks on there anymore. Oh yeah. I think they, well, you know, they probably, have. Uh, come on, Datavis, come on guys. They're, they're just right down the road from you in Trumbull. Oh, they used to be. Yeah. Yeah. But I think they, you know, they had to change their business. They don't, you know, there's not as much of a need for that anymore. Mm. All right. All right. Let's, uh, let's move on to Michael here. Michael writes, I have a question about iTunes library sharing. My kids are heading to college with much of our music accumulated over the years in all, all in one iTunes library. What is the best way for them to have access to that music while they are away at school? Is iTunes match a solution? Well, Mike, I'm actually really glad you mentioned iTunes match because I w I don't think I would have thought of that as the answer here. Uh, but I think it's actually the best answer here. Uh, there's a limitation that you should know about with iTunes match that may matter. Uh, you can have a maximum of 10 devices. That's iOS devices and Mac OS devices or OS 10 devices combined. Uh, it used to be that only five of those could be computers, but based on some uh, knowledge base articles that I've read, I believe that has changed. We actually have a question into Apple about it, but have not heard back on co- with confirmation of that. But I, I believe You could, I think you could have 10 computers as long as you didn't have any iOS devices attached to, uh, to this, but, uh, but it, it's, it, you know, iTunes match would be a great solution because what happens is, you know, you have your, your Mac that uploads everything or matches everything to the library, to the cloud. And of course that has everything on it, but then any other Mac that you connect to iTunes match under the same account, if you have songs on that one, it will match those up, but then it shows you your whole library uh, as though it lives on your Mac, but it'll show a little icon that says, no, this file doesn't yet live on your Mac. It's in the cloud. And then as soon as you go to play it, it pulls it down and it plays it. So that, that could work really, really well for, uh, for the kids away at school, as long as you can live within your, your 10 device limit. Uh, If you want to manage that limit inside iTunes uh, on your Mac, you go click on the iTunes store on the left and then click on your account name, which sort of appears in the upper right. Uh, It'll ask you for your password. And then you'll be brought to the account information page. There's a section in there called iTunes in the cloud, which is synonymous with iTunes match. Don't ask me why. Uh, And if you click in there, uh, it'll, or if you actually, if you look in there, it'll tell you about your subscription, including the number of devices attached. If you click on manage devices, there. You can see and also remove which individual devices are are also there. So, uh, so that, that may, uh, that may be your, your magic little, uh, that may be the solution. Any, uh, any thoughts on that, John? No, no. No. Okay. (laughs) All right. Uh, you want to, uh, you want to talk about the, the, the other Michael's question, John? Oh, this one ruled. The mysterious launching apps at (laughs) login? It was pretty mysterious, I think. Well, you know, there you go.
1: Okay, let's see. Where did we start here? Okay. So here's uh, the start of the question here. I kind of jump in the middle here. Um, Somewhere along my migration path, I seem to have picked up an issue. I'm hoping you can provide some diagnostic pointers to help me resolve it. Whenever I log into my main account, you like how I jumped in at the right point there, Dave? It's
0: very nicely done, my friend.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and I rooted everything. Okay. Yeah, that's right. Whenever I log into waited. my main account, yeah. <laughs> the preview app is doing a little dance in the dock, and my browser Chrome launches. Preview is showing the following error. The file, blah, 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 couldn't be opened because you don't have permission to view it. Now, let's, let's not be distracted here by the red herring that is the permissions.
0: That's not the problem. The problem is this is happening at all. So
1: to continue. And I don't know if we need to continue much
0: more here. No, I think you're good. Yeah. Why, why would this happen every time? Why would this happen every time? And I'm not quite sure why,
1: but actually I am now I am because I did this once. So one of the things I like to do when I have, some free time is to just uh, go into the system preferences and just poke around and just uh, play with things and and add things and delete things. And then just wreak havoc so that I can call Dave and have him help me solve my problems Jeez. that i caused myself. So, but the one place that's very interesting that I think doesn't get a lot of press is when you go into system preferences accounts and then you click on your account on the left hand side of the screen and then you will see login items. And most of what you'll see is probably stuff that's been placed there by applications that you use from day to day, or maybe some Apple stuff. Like right now, I see Airport Base Station Agent. And uh, most of the other stuff is third party stuff here. Actually, all the rest of it is all third party stuff. Now, most of our type application, but the thing is, you can put a lot more here. And this is why I say Apple really doesn't publicize this. Is that so? Putting an application here, it's kind of obvious what happens. It launches it when you log in. But if you put other things here, Or I guess just the fact that you can put other things here makes it kind of interesting. So you can not only put applications, which some may need to run when you launch a machine, but you may put documents in here. What sort of documents, you may ask? Well, (laughs) one type could be an image file. And that's where uh, I uh, I led Michael down that path. I said, well, you know, the only time I've seen this, so what really... Uh, did it for me was when he mentioned oh here was the other uh, additional information he offered and this is what clinched it for me so one I knew in the back of my mind this was part of the uh, account information but when he said oh by the way this does not happen when logging into my admin account then the light bulb lit up and exploded and shattered glass everywhere (laughs) sorry (laughs) back to the show so that, cool. well, once he said it was only happening with another account, then that clinched it for me, and that, yes, it must be login items. Yeah. And lo and behold, we got an email back with, oh, and this was just a, a warm fuzzy here, with a screenshot showing, hey, look what I found in login items. And basically, there were, I guess, uh, two different uh, things, which were obviously, uh, I think, so, some remnants from a photo application that put an album, a link to an album that then broke and uh, never went away. Yep. Yep. So that. That's pretty much it. So, um, but the thing I'd like to add is that, you know, for example, Dave, I think it still works in Mountain Lion. So uh, obviously based on this, which was accidental, but if you do put a document in there, it'll launch it. And maybe you want that, you know, a picture of of something that you like. Sure. You want to see it every time. (laughs) Though I'd probably do it as a desktop pattern or something like that rather than launching preview. But the other thing that occurs to me is... um, Launching a file server, I think,
0: is the most unusual use of the login items. I do it all the time. Yeah, I put my, uh, my NAS drives in, in the, my login items, and then it automatically connects to them when I start up my Mac, and they're just mounted right there in the finder, ready, ready to go.
1: Yeah, so the, it, it, it's certainly, I don't think, it's certainly not obvious that this is a way to get your computer to mount network volumes every time you boot it up. Agreed. At least I've never seen an Apple tutorial, but that's why you're listening to us because right. this is just the cool thing to do. And then, and then if you have the login stored in your keychain, you remember it, then it makes your boot up experience uh, all all the easier.
0: Yeah, yeah. No, it's a and and you know you you touched on this, but this is one of the reasons that we suggest creating a test user account so that uh, so that you can test things and so that you're not. Uh, so that you have a way around this. If in fact, let's say there was something there that was causing you trouble m- more than just a nuisance, you could log in under your test user account and, and get in there and, and fix some of this stuff or at least confirm that it's not happening there. It really helps from a troubleshooting standpoint to be able to say, does this problem happen to every user on the machine? It really helps narrow down exactly where you've got to look for, uh, for any problems. So good stuff. All right, John. Take him on to David's question. Hmm. David's question. Oh, man. You want me to read it? I'll read it. I've got it. You know what? I think it's better that you read this one. Fair enough. (laughs) David writes a few episodes back. You discussed malware on the Mac and John said he had installed Sophos, a free anti-malware app. Taking John's lead, I installed the app on my MacBook. A few days ago, I was getting error messages on the MacBook stating that the hard drive was full. This didn't make any sense as I'm a very light user with most of the drive unused. Thinking something must have been downloaded onto the hard drive that was huge and clogging the system, I used what size to scan for big files. Sophos was taking up 29 gigs. Once I deleted Sophos, all has been well and my MacBook is running fine. I wondered if John had noticed any problems like this. I'm back to my opinion now that anti-malware apps on the Mac cause more problems than they solve. John. My opinion is that that's certainly not the case. Well, it was, it certainly was the case. Oh, oh, I see. In a general sense, it's not the case. All right. Fair (laughs) fair enough. You're entitled to your opinion, even if it's wrong. That's right. As, as are we all. (laughs) So the
1: only thing that I found, so, so I'm wondering here if it's not just a Sophos problem, because I, I have not seen it take up monstrous amounts of disk space and that i i looked and the only thing i could find or at least the antivirus uh, uh, definitions are stored in the top level library folder and then something called sophos antivirus and in my case it was about 90 megabytes so i'm wondering if you may have another problem so i've certainly not seen it go out of control downloading tens of gigabytes of what appeared what what it thinks are virus definitions.
0: It could also be log files, you know, I mean, it could be it could be generating these on its own, not just downloading things. I've seen that happen. Yeah. OK, yeah. it, it could be a monstrously huge log file. Yeah, yeah. I haven't I, seen that. I so, saw that was I saw that with Skype years ago, uh, found it with what size. But I will I will point out here that um, I actually do fully agree with with David. Uh, Not just because it fits into my 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 wish that we will never have to run uh, virus software on our Macs, but uh, especially with regards to sofa, it's crap, guys. Uh, This software, uh, John has had no problems with it, and that's good for John. Uh, I had problems immediately with it. It was slowing my machine down. And this is on a, you know, four or eight core. Uh, iMac with with an SSD drive. It was slowing things down. It was causing all sorts of grief. I happened to mention it in a staff meeting recently and everybody that had tried it and there were like four other people in the meeting and they all said, oh yeah, get that thing off your Mac. It's horrible. It's terrible. So John is is the only one here at TMO that has not had problems with Sophos. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know what that says, but what it tells me is I'm going to tell you not to install it as a, as a general piece of advice. Um, so, but you have to remember, I mean, these problems are weird. Why this thing would, would, you know, generate 29 gigs worth of anything is ridiculous. Um, but I, I trust David that it did, you know, um, but in general, even good antivirus software is built to get in your way. That's what it's, that's what you want it to do. Presuming you put it on your system, you want it to, Look at every file that you're, you know, accessing and make sure every app that you're running isn't infected with known bits of, uh, of virus code. So it is going to slow things down to some degree, whether it's noticeable or not, obviously depends on what it's doing and how well it's doing it and all of that. But uh, but it it, you know, it's there. It's resident and it's it's in your way as it as, as it's supposed to be. So. Stay away from sofas. That's my advice, no, but he did mention oh no well yeah, that's my that's advice. Your advice yeah right. yeah he did mention a good thing though, what size, which is what size mac dot com this is uh you know one of these uh great things i've I've always used omni disk sweeper for this, but uh what size does the same thing in in its own different way they, they all will scour your hard drive and tell you where you are using all of your space. And I, this is something I highly recommend everyone does once every six months. You don't need to be obsessive about it unless, unless you want to be, but, uh, you know, Omni disk is free. What size I'm trying to remember if what size, I don't think it is. It's, but it's cheap. It's like 13 bucks. Um, so if you like their interface better, go just use their, you know, um, but, uh, Awesome stuff. It's uh, so handy to find those things that, you know, his was so big that it was impacting him. So he, you know, he knew there was something out there. But like I said, I found, you know, Skype, I'd been doing some testing for him and I'd turned on all these like weird logging features. And I had this, you know, two gig log file on this machine. It was really nice to find that. And, you know, remember, oh, yeah, I got to turn that off <laughs> and and delete the file. So really handy to find stuff out there, you, you know, really good stuff do you do you use omni disk sweeper or one of those john
1: Mm, not really though i was looking for the name of a utility which uh sophos did make me aware of because it does uh interact with some of the lower level parts of the system here and it's what's that utility that tells you when people are futzing with your
0: launch agents Oh yeah, there was that, yeah, it's like a, it's just a little thing that sits and runs a folder watcher kind of thing that watches your launch agents. Yeah, we got to find yeah, it.
1: Yeah, we'll find it and link to it. We'll but put it in the no, the thing yeah. is, is that it, Sophos is the one utility that regularly alerts me that it's messing with things in those folders because the nature of how they implement their software makes it. So they got to change those P list files. Oh, so
0: regularly it says, Hey, yeah, I changed those. You want to, you want to, want to see what changed? I'm like, nah, I know. Yeah, no, it's, it's handy. John's talking about this script. Um, yeah, we will find it. Um, and it's, it just sits and watches, you know, several folders on your Mac for any changes, which, which is handy because, you know, things can pop stuff out there and it's, it's good to know. Uh, Mac tech freak in the chat room. Uh, in addition to omni disk sweeper and what size mentioned daisy disk uh which is yet another thing it's 10 bucks uh, but this will also find your your disk space used uh and it's got a cool interface and actually it looks really cool so check that out too we'll put them all in the in the show notes all right are we done ranting about Sophos, john I, I wasn't ranting. <laughs> I guess, I guess that was me. <laughs> All right. Brooks writes, uh, I hope you can provide me a bit of guidance as I try to boost the speed performance and reliability of my current mid 2010 Mac pro, uh, 2.8 gigahertz quad core, 13 gigs of Ram, uh, 1066 megahertz running mountain lion with parallels. I also use two, uh, Terabyte external drives for clones and time machine backups, which is now maxed out. I have recently just purchased a 256 gig SSD and another external two terabyte drive and would like to number one, use the SSD as the boot drive and applications drive. I believe this would need to be partitioned uh, to accommodate parallels and personal quicken files. Uh, Number two. I want to use the existing internal one terabyte rotational drive in the iMac as a source drive for working files, as well as keeping a copy of the OS and apps. And number three, I want to use the two now two two terabyte external drives for rotated clones and backups. Uh, What is the best way to accomplish this? Okay. so let's talk about this because this is there's a lot of people in your in your shoes here that are, you know, as opposed to replacing Macs, just updating them and really adding SSDs is is a is a common practice. Number one, I I would stay far away from partitioning anything unless you have a very, very specific reason that it totally makes sense. And it's the only way to do it. Uh, running parallels does not require uh, a partition. Parallels will just create its own uh drive file, but that doesn't need to be on its own partition. And with an SSD, you're not going to get any speed benefits from making sure it's on a partition and, and it you know doesn't get fragmented and all of that because that just that problem doesn't exist on SSDs. So I would not partition the drive. I would just put parallels on it and uh and put your quicken data on it and you're you're good to go. Um as far as getting everything there he he was asking um, whether he should install fresh on this SSD um, or use migration assistant. I would normally, I would say migration assistant is going to be okay. You know, doing the install over the top and all of that stuff. We've, we've seen very, very good luck with that with mountain lion, but, um, but because you're not going to be storing your user data on the same drive, you're probably better off just doing a clean install and sort of managing that process manually. Uh, It will require installing new apps, but it also saves you the time of cloning from the, the, you know, the existing drive over. Uh, The one thing you may want to partition for is you said that you wanted to have your internal drive, have your user data and also as a backup for your uh, keeping a working copy of the OS as a, you know, sort of a clone uh, that would make sense to put on a separate partition because then you can unmount it and it's out of your way, and all you see mounted is your user files, and you don't have two copies of of a bootable OS up there all the time. So that that would make sense, but uh, but yeah. Otherwise, I, I would just go with with full drives and and not partition and just blaze ahead. That's my feeling anyway, John. What uh, what do you think, my friend? I'm with you. Partitions cause problems.
1: Yeah, It begins with the P. P problems. <laughs> I've never had. That. Now, fortunately, the, the latest version of was 10, of course, lets you repartition for the most part if you do make a mistake. But
0: yeah, I'm with you. Yeah, yeah. Cool. All right. Uh, I will link to an article that uh, that Ted Landau did at TMO about uh, his his life. You know, managing his multi-drive life, and uh, and may have some pointers. Uh, somebody in the chat room mentioned linking your home directory from your SSD to the. the well, no, that's actually a really good idea if you want to keep your documents. It's a terrible out there. idea. Well, if the, if it's an internal drive, it's always going to be mounted. Well, I, 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 not that it's a
1: terrible. It's just it leads you to a dialogue that can get kind of scary. So,
0: mm. right. No, no. Well, you can, yeah, you can, right. You can edit what John's talking about is if you go into system preferences and you go into, uh, users and groups as it is called in mountain lion and you right click in the, uh, in the, the list of users, you'll see advanced options and you know, you right click on your user account and go to advanced options. You can change the home directory there. That that's certainly one way of doing it. The other way is just to do a, uh, a sim link, although I guess it's probably better to do it here in this uh, advanced setting, but only change the home directory. Don't muck with anything else uh, and you'll be you'll be fine. As John pointed out, this you can you can really screw things up if you change other options here. So. But yeah, that that would be the way to do it, I think, anyway. You want to do uh, I want to get some tips in. we'll skip cool stuff found this week, John, uh, because I think we're going to do an entire cool stuff found show for uh, for our next show, uh, because we've got some scheduling things to work out. So cool stuff found is a good a good thing to, to slip in there. We've got some tips we want to get through. You want to do Fred quick or do you want to save Fred for a show where we can really like dig in deep?
1: I don't know if we really have to dig in too deep with Fred all right, here. Then go. So the biggest challenge here is going to be finding Fred's uh, feedback.
0: <laughs> As it always is, it seems. Well, you know, there are ways to organize well, what do you want this to do stuff. For, uh,
1: yeah, well, no, I got it right in front of me here. Good. Okay, go ahead. Now, should we do the, the drive or the troubleshooting? I guess the troubleshooting. All right. Yeah, go ahead. Or the drive. Or the drive first. Well, all right. I'm going to sum it up here. So Fred had a number of questions here. Uh, All revolving, I think, about external drives and USB. So, we're going to hit the first one here. Um, He's basically looking for advice on a... uh, Or I guess he's going to be purchasing a a Mac. Has been using Windows systems for about 30 years. Goodness. Um, And he's going to get a MacBook Pro. So, question one. What is better to have? FireWire 800 or USB 3 for daily backup? And he likes the idea of uh, Airport Extreme. So... I would say the results as follows. Now, one, I can back this up at least with one configuration I've used. And I'm actually uh, curious about your experience, Dave. Um, so USB three or firewire. Now looking at the numbers or the uh, bandwidth of either one uh, USB three kind of wins. And actually, I did a test to confirm this. So the, the thing you got to keep in mind is USB and FireWire are different, and the USB, I think, t- tends to use more processor, whereas FireWire uh, really doesn't. There, there are a few other differences, but just in a nutshell. But yeah. The thing is, I did a test of, uh, so CalDigit uh, let me uh, test one of their drives, and I tried it on a number of configurations. And basically, I tried both USB 3.0 and FireWire interface, and USB 3.0 was faster. So,
0: Yeah, yeah,
1: I would kind agree. Of my uh, that's kind of my vote there. And wh- what is interesting is that a lot of vendors, it seems, it, you know, I can't say that this was the cause, but it seemed to be a big coincidence is as soon as Apple announced the first USB 3 port on their portable, it seemed a whole bunch of vendors. And I don't uh, you know, I think Apple like orchestrated this. But all of a sudden I saw all these vendors offer, hey, by the way, we got to drive with USB 3 and something else. Right. It, there was just like a flood of people. That, and, and most of the time it was. Uh, firewire. So it was like, hey, we got USB and three. Fi-. So so I don't know if it was like a, a, the company that made the chip that does this just released them all of a sudden or, or what. But it just seems right now there's a lot of choice in, in that USB 3 market. So maybe I think Apple did kind of push to make that happen.
0: Perhaps. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Or, or perhaps, you know, so many people follow Apple now that uh, that, you know, that's sort of validation that, OK, yeah, we're going to go with this. So. Or the
1: Thunderbolt was just kind of disappointing, and in my
0: humble opinion, was not
1: rolled out uh, very well,
0: <laughs> right? Um, yeah. See, you know, it, it's, it's well, How many Thunderbolt peripherals do you have? See, that's the thing. I think you're looking at it the wrong way, and now we're in a completely Would different discussion. <laughs> uh, it is none. Yeah, I haven't. I haven't bought any. But but Thunderbolt is not. See, I. <laughs> You're comparing Thunderbolt to USB three, and they are two completely different things. I understand. I know, but Just... but you but but perhaps our listeners don't. And by you saying that, you're, okay. you're leading them Go. down the wrong path. Thunderbolt is USB and FireWire are interfaces uh, for um, uh, for for hanging, you know, peripherals off of. Whereas Thunderbolt can be used that way, but it is. It is a it is like putting a card into your computer. It has direct access to the motherboard. So really, it's an expandability thing. It's if there's some, let's say down the road, um, you want to add, you know, USB 4 to your Mac, right? Or, or, you know, whatever the next great interface is with Thunderbolt, you can do that because you can go from Thunderbolt to USB 4. The USB port in your Mac is plugged into the motherboard, Thunderbolt gives you that mainline access to the motherboard to add capabilities that your Mac does not have out of the gate. Now, there are people that are using it effectively as an eSATA interface, right? Because you're plugging. There are no Thunderbolt drives out there. There are drives with Thunderbolt ports, but the drives have eSATA. uh, You know, the, the drive itself is an eSATA interface inside the box. Thunderbolt effectively gives you a main line from the motherboard to that eSATA thing without having to go through USB or FireWire. It's a it takes one layer out of the mix. So it just Thunderbolt allows you this this wide variety of expansion options because you're not limited to the USB or FireWire interfaces that came with your Mac. So I, I think I, I think Thunderbolt is a brilliant move. Actually, it, it's just been very, very misunderstood and mis represented by frankly by a lot of the press uh but yeah you know it's it because it's not usb and firewire and thunderbolt it's like thunderbolt underneath and then whatever interface you want on top of it so i i I think i think you know i think it will give more life to to you know the imac i bought last year because it has a thunderbolt port so i can do whatever i want with it okay so there you go all right well i'm gonna get usb3 then Yeah. Yeah. Well, USB. Yeah. Well, for for Fred's advice, but but really um, the the question that Fred asked that I thought would be good to go through in the show was about he was he he had gone down the USB 3 path and and you had some advice for him in diagnosing USB 3 issues. Ah, So maybe maybe walk through that and then we'll get to some of these tips. Yeah. And that's some fun. So
1: he was saying I was reading a user's review. So so he was looking at USB 3 drives and uh, one of the reviewers stated he had a USB 3 cable problem. He was able to test the transfer speed of the drive to, the po- to point to a problem with the cable. So his question is, now remember um, uh, Fred's coming here from a, a PC background. Yep. Um, how do you do this on the Mac? And that's a great question. How do you find out how fast your drive is talking? Um, Windows has a utility and, and the Mac has some utilities to do this as well actually, you know what, I just thought of one while I was going to talk about the one I recommended. So so the one I'm going to recommend, but, you know, I'm going to do that one first here. So how can you tell the throughput when you're transferring data to or from a drive? I'm going to say to me the best solution, though, cost money is high stat menus. Oh, yeah in that it has a menu specifically showing all your drives and the read and write speed to or from that drive. So that's a great sign. So one, you got to do some research and figure out, well, what's the ballpark transfer rate for the device that I'm talking to? And sometimes you may have to take the value that's a theoretical maximum and have it or, or, well, maybe it's in the specs. But don't always, never, I would say almost never, ever expect anything to uh, reach the throughput that the interface uh, advertises. I think uh, USB 3 can do, what, up to 6 gigabits, I think, or 5 gigabits or something gigabits. Right? Uh, I'm sure Dave is, uh, is typing away furiously to uh, <laughs> see yeah, you if want, I'm correct you, in that.
0: You want USB 3 speed? Is that what you said? Yeah. yeah, yeah. It is... Um, I have it. Here's some. I had it right up on my screen, and now I can't find it, John. Um, USB 3 speed is... No, that's USB 2. 5 gigabits. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Yeah, 5 gigabits. Okay.
1: Yeah. All right, so you could figure, eh, maybe that's 500 megabytes, maybe in the ballpark of... Yeah. So, look at the drive, see the transfer speed. Now, Now, we find that unusual, though. You know, USB 3, so it's a different cable from USB 2, but they're backward compatible, so you can plug a USB two cable into a USB three port. I think it just uses certain wires. And I think what USB three gives you is, is a couple more wires for the data transfer, better wires. I don't know. Right. But uh, no, my tests. Uh, uh, all right. Another thing is hardware growler. Right? Oh this yeah. You got to buy also hardware growler operates at a very low level and basically gives you uh via growl or I think on its own, uh, the products changed a little bit uh, along with Mac OS 10. Um, but basically it shows whenever you connect or disconnect a usb a firewire a network or pretty much any device and it kind of shows it in two stages which i think is the cool thing is that so first it shows you pretty much at the device level like if you plug in a flash drive it's like oh it's a usb blah blah flash something then the next level it's like oh this is john's thumb drive um but i like that because if there is a cable problem and like the device is connecting and disconnecting and connecting and disconnecting and connecting. And it, you get the idea. I got the idea. Um, this is, <laughs> this is definitely going to show that. Right. And I've had that happen with bad cables or bad hubs or bad, w- whatever. If there's a device on your network, uh, whether it be a uh, ethernet or USB or FireWire or whatever, and it's jumping up and down, connecting and disconnecting, a uh, hardware growler will absolutely show that. And a bad cable could <laughs> be the problem. Yeah, no, totally. Uh, What's another thing in my tool belt here? Let me, let me see. I think I had one other one. My stat menus, hardware growler. Um, oh, and then, well, you know, it's built in, but you can also see, uh, I believe, some basic drive throughput information in uh, Activity Monitor. Right? Yeah, I'm looking here.
0: Uh, can it. you? Well, yeah, maybe it does. I, you know, I've gotten so used to using... Disk
1: usage. Okay. Yeah, no, no I'm sorry. Disk right. Disk activity. Yep. That's right. So activity monitor has a disk activity tab, and that will show data read, data written, and also uh, per second throughput. So yeah, you know, and it has a little graph, so it's it's better than nothing. But I, you know, I really like uh, iStat menus. It shows you everything that's happening.
0: Yeah. yeah. Moving on. Well, does Let's and do and, does, and the nice part about iStat menus is that. Activity monitor shows you overall disk I.O. usage, but it does not break it down by device, whereas iStat menu shows you for every disk that you've got what the throughput is and that and that's really handy. I've found for, you know, testing out speeds or, or, you know, diagnosing problems. All right. Uh, Let's see. Let's go through. uh, We've got a couple of of tips here. That uh, that we can run through, you know. in, in the last show, we talked about um, EXIF data, where where people wanted to see what uh, what app or I'm sorry, what phone took what picture. And Andrew suggested simply use different apps to take those pictures, and uh, and that will store different data in the in the meta tags, the EXIF data for the the photos. So. i I like that Mm. that idea. Yeah. You know, it's just, it's another, it's not as convenient because you can't just swipe up and use the camera, but there are some decent camera, third party camera apps out there. Uh, though I seem to keep gravitating back toward the one that's, that's built into the phone just, just because it's well, because it's built into the phone. Uh, let's see. Um, Eric has, uh, has one of those things that may be obvious if you've done it, but not obvious if you haven't. So take it away, Eric. Hello, John, Dave, and Pilot Pete. Uh, Eric here. I thought I would uh, pass along a quick tip with the Reminders app found on iOS and now Mountain Lion. A while back, I remember Dave lamenting that iCal did not have the ability to create repeating to-dos that would come back every month or so. Uh, The Reminders app does have this ability. If you set a reminder, you can um, adjust it to... Uh, repeat once a month. I have a repeating monthly uh, reminder. Uh, I've got several set up actually, and it's a uh, pretty useful. just thought I'd pass along that quick tip in case uh, Dave, you had not noticed it. Thanks a lot. Don't get caught. Hey, thanks Eric. And uh, I think that was Eric's son at the, at the very beginning of the, uh, of the question there. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. it, yeah. I had not noticed that. I knew that it was, a, it's always been a feature that uh, the calendar store on the Mac supported, but, uh, but, Apple had no user interface for for doing this. iCal would not, uh, so I, I obviously moved to BusyCal a long time ago, and uh, and never thought about it when Mountain Lion came out to check the reminders app to see if it if it you know, gave you a way to access this functionality. There is one, and it does. So thank you, Eric. That's, you know, that's a good thing. There is one weird thing about it and you will experience this if you have busy Cal or if you use the reminders app, because they're all kind of pointing at the, the calendar store right there on your Mac. And that is, if you have, let's say you have a, a to do every Wednesday to take the trash out, right? Um, if let's say one week, your trash is delayed by a day because of a holiday or something, And you move that to do to Thursday following weeks will then be on Thursday Uh, if it carries through because it's a a held over to do. So, you know, if it's a past due to do uh, when you when you click it, uh, when you when you mark it done, it will put the next one in for, uh, you know, for Wednesday because that's what it was from. But if you manually move it to another day. That will change your cycle. And that's bit me quite a few times. So, uh, so I just wanted to point that out, out there. So good stuff. All right. And we'll wrap up with, uh, with some tips from Karsten because he's always got great tips. So uh, number one, Karsten says using mail in Mountain Lion, he says you can do notifications by the use of the VIP feature. When you first start using Mountain Lion 10.8 and configure your email notifications are set to alert you to every single email that comes into your inbox. In my case, I do not need nor want to see all that. I only want to see notifications from special people to do that first, locate the email message from the people you want to be notified about on the right-hand side. You can read the message. And when you look at the from name on the left side of that name is a small empty star. That is the VIP indicator. If you click that, That sets this person as VIP. Now repeat this process until you have marked all of your VIPs. Now go to the notifications section uh, by going up and clicking on the little notifications thing in the upper right hand corner or doing the two finger swipe. If you can do that with your pointing device, select mail and change notifications from banners to alerts and close the window. This ensures that when you receive a message from a VIP, it sticks to the screen and doesn't go away. The last step actually happens back in mail. Select the mail menu, go to preferences, go to the general tab, go to new message notifications and change that from inbox only to VIPs. Now you'll get notified from special from special people and the notifications will stick to the screen so you can open them from wherever you are. It's a good tip. I like it. Next tip. Is uh the quick scroll to the top quick scroll to the top tip. Uh certainly exists in Mountain Lion. He says, I'm not sure if this is new to Mountain Lion or not. If you have scrolled several messages down and you need to go to the top, place your cursor on the small gray bar somewhere next to the sort by uh text and double tap. It will scroll you all the way back to the top in mail. So that's handy. All right. Let's, uh, I think that's, uh, I think that should do it here. Let me see if I can find the band here, John. That's it? Well, you know, we've been, we've been at this for almost an hour and a quarter or perhaps past an hour and a quarter. Uh, yeah. Past hour, an hour and a quarter. Minutes. Yeah, that's okay. right. All right. Uh, let's see. As we said, Mackie 415 will not be recorded on Sunday night. That we know for sure. We may do it on Thursday, uh, or we may do it on Monday night, Labor Day. Here's the, here's the secret that I'll let you all in on. We are very, very close to uh, the... God, this noise gates acting weird here on the music. Uh, we're very close to rolling out the new design, which is also a completely new back-end for the Mac Observer. Uh, we are going to do a dry run of that on Tuesday... And then the main launch is actually scheduled for the evening of Labor Day, which would preclude me from being able to record this show. But I have this sneaking feeling that our dry run is going to go fairly well on Tuesday, and we may actually just launch it Tuesday night. So if that's the case, then we're wide open to do the show. If not, we might record the show on Thursday, and, uh, and we'll go from there. And, and while we're in the uh, projects phase of, of the show here, the Mac Geekab app, uh, is about to be resubmitted. We got denied for two reasons. One was a, a denied. Tech- denied, denied. That's right. Uh, one was a technical issue because uh, we, we were storing data in a way that made it get backed up to iCloud and it shouldn't. So that was, the, you know, they, they were certainly right to do that, and um, and, uh, and we'll fix that. And the other is they, uh, you know, I'd completely forgotten in in our MacGyver logo in the glasses. Uh, 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 is uh. is the Finder icon? I'd completely forgotten that. That's where that came. Do you believe from. there's some sort of trademark or something on that? All? Uh-huh. I don't <laughs> believe it. They told me there was, and they said not, you know, not you, the word Mac. So they didn't care about the word. No, Mac No, the word Mac was not the that's problem. It was, it was the Finder icon in the it in the in the logo. Trademarked? Uh, yeah, yeah. So, uh, so if actually if you notice, uh, this show uh, has it. Uh, we've, we've scrubbed the Finder icon out of the logo. I actually want to do something different there. Right now, it's just a fade. Uh, but, uh, but so if anybody has any ideas, uh, I can certainly provide you with an Illustrator file if you want to mess around with it. Or even if, you, if you're not graphically inclined and you just have an idea, let us know. And if you want to let us know your idea or if you have a question or perhaps anything else, you can email us at feedback at MacGeekCab.com. Right, John? hmm you with me oh. on this? How you doing over there? We no, have a little shtick that we have a little shtick that we do. So I said feedback at MacGeekab.com. Uh, all right. If you
1: want the shtick, but I want cookies. But if you want the shtick, yes, it is feedback at MacGeek.com.
0: And those of you that are premium members, and the good news is that the uh, new premium thing will roll out pretty much uh, in line with the new tmo design because it relies on the new back end that we're doing uh you can email us at premium at mac com, and those do get prioritized in their answers uh we try to get to them many times a week i don't want to say every day even though i actually do try to get to them every day um but uh but certainly multiple times a week that that mailbox is perused so that's premium at so you,
1: so you said not only premium at MacGap.com, but feedback at MacGap.com.
0: That's, that right. That's right. That's okay. right. Just want to make sure I covered. And once the app comes out, you'll be able to send us audio comments directly from within the app. But uh, but if you want to send us an audio comment now, uh, you can call us at 206-666-GEEK, which, John, is? 14.
1: 1335 what is going on out there oh
0: it sounds like they're coming to get you man you hear that those black helicopters were just the just the recon crew uh all right quickly then uh you can find us on twitter matt will uh find you the show and announcements when uh the show comes out but also when we're doing our live stream Oh, there we go. Fire. <laughs> All right. Uh, John F. Braun is him, and he's in, like, squirrel mode now. Pilot Pete is that guy that always seems to be flying when we're recording here. Uh, and I am Dave Hamilton on Twitter. You can also find us on Facebook, which is a great way to keep tabs on when we do these recordings, because we create them as Facebook events. So uh, if you like us on Facebook, it helps. And that's Facebook.com slash And again, the stream is macgeekabcom slash stream. So that's uh, that's where we have a nice chat room going and uh, it really is a lot of fun. Anything to add before we uh, before we push this one out the door, my friend. Zero. Zero. Well that's uh, that's enough to for add, me. I'm I'm I met my limit. Okay. Uh, we'd like to thank Michael Johnston from the We Have Communicators podcast for converting this and all the shows to AAC. Cashfly for all the bandwidth. BB Edit uh, from Barebone Software. PDF Pen Pro from Smile. And Gazelle all in the podcast marketplace this month. Have a great month. Have a great Labor Day weekend if you're in the U.S. here. And... Uh John any you, you might have one last piece of advice you got to have something left in the tank don't get caught maybe